Hi, this is Jan Miyazaki, the host of the Wednesday 8 o'clock buzz. Thank you for tuning into WORT. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a donation at wortfm.org slash donate. And I am so glad to have Philip Matera join us and for our Madison listener, area listeners to hear from him. I'm Philip Matera. Uh, you may be familiar with his name and his byline, a longtime business journalist. I'm now research director um, and director of the corporate research project of Good Jobs First. And Philip, I want to um, tell folks a little bit more about the Corporate Research Project. You can find at the website the Violation Tracker, a database on corporate misconduct. You can read the Dirt Diggers Digest, a blog written by Philip Matera about current controversies over corporate behavior, along with tips on corporate research sources and techniques. And also there you can read over 70 critical company profiles at the corporate rap sheet section um, of the website. I wanted to talk with Philip Matera today about his piece, The Coke Industries and the Attack on Regulation. He writes that Donald Trump's rants about the deep state are designed to deflect attention away from his own transgressions. And an even more sinister attack on the legitimacy of the federal executive branch is taking place at the U.S. Supreme Court, and the result could strike a serious blow against corporate accountability. So recently, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in um, Loper Brand Enterprises versus Raimondo and Relentless Inc. versus the Department of Commerce, and purportedly these brought to the court um, by commercial fishermen and protesting their obligation to pay for the cost of monitoring their um, compliance uh, uh, with the Magnuson-Stevens Fishery Conservation and Ma- uh, Management Act. And I, um, I'm recording Philip Matera here. Um, he says that instead of addressing the narrow issue, the cases are being used to challenge one of the bedrocks of federal regulation. He says it is standard procedure for corporate America to use small businesses as a wedge for achieving changes that provide a lot more benefit to large companies. And there was little doubt this was the dynamic at play in the fishing case. Um, Philip Matera, that is really that last quote I think just needs to be said over and over again. But thank you, Philip Matera, for joining me. Happy to be here. Hey, so, um, you know, this, uh, the, the two fishing cases, you know, the way I, you know, see it represented in the media as it's the little fishermen against the big government regulators. But that's not the case, right? Yeah, this is a typical situation in which large corporations use small business to bring about changes in the law that really benefit big business much more than any um, small firms. And this is really a a blatant example of that, uh, because this is a case that um, is on a a very narrow issue, but it was heard by the court, you know, as a challenge to a much bigger principle that's been in place for several decades now in the way federal regulatory policy works. And if the, if, if the law is changed, it could um, you know, benefit the Fortune 500 in a major way. You know, this to me seems like just one of the checkoff items on this agenda, um, you know, reproductive rights uh, regulation, and just kind of like, you know, lining this all up um, 
to be taken down, I guess. What do we know about... Um, so, so what is the, the, the broad rule that the court is, you know, and we have to brace ourselves to be um, uh, 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 taken down? Well, for the past, you know, four decades, the, um, there's, been this, um, ru- there's been this ruling in place called the Chevron doc- Doctrine, or also Chevron Deference. And it, it comes out of a, a court case that involved the big oil company Chevron and the Natural Resources Defense um, Council. And the court, you know, decided, you know, way back in, in the 80s that, when there's any ambiguity in any federal law regarding the regulation of business, that the regulatory agency should be given deference in interpreting the law. And and it seemed to make sense that the agency is in the position to understand what the intention of Congress was. The agency has expertise in the subject matter um, that's involved, and we should kind of leave it to the regulators to figure out the best way of enforcing these laws. Now, corporations don't like that, right, because they want to weaken the power of regulators, and they want to be able to use you know, their you know, conservative uh, judges to overturn or restrict regulation whenever possible. And this is really what's going on here. The, um, you know, this was essentially a, a test case, you know, in which the, you know, the fishing companies were kind of stalking horses, um, you know, being used, you know, as pawns to, um, you know, bring about this change, uh, under which the regulators' power would be limited, and the ability of the courts. To, um, to interpret um, you know, federal, federal laws would be increased. Now, of course, no one is saying that judges should not have any role in, in um, interpreting law, but this is more a matter of getting into the details of the way in which regulation operates, and that's normally something that the regulators themselves should be handling. And so this is the problem here, that you know, this this case is something that business interests have wanted to change for a long time. They now have their opportunity. They've got a conservative supermajority on the court, and it looks like the um, you know the right wingers on the court are raring to go to you know change this practice. You know, even though a lot of them are purportedly believers in you know this starry decisis principle, where you're not supposed to you know, overturn longstanding precedent. But, of course, they've thrown that out the window, you know, in the Roe v. Wade case and and many others in in recent years. So you write that the supposed public interest law firm on bringing the fishing case is closely linked to billionaire Charles Koch, who has long sought to weaken government oversight of business as part of a broad right-wing agenda. Can you talk about that? And um, your piece links to that New York Times story. Yeah, that's one of the most egregious things about this case, that, you know, a, a major 
corporation, the kind of notorious corporation, um, Coke Industries, a- appears to basically be bankrolling this case. The lawyers who brought it, you know, purport to be public interest, you know, lawyers, and they're doing it pro bono. But uh, you know, at least they're not charging the fishing companies for their services. But the chances are that, uh, and this New York Times article seems to bear that out, that they're actually being paid by Coke Industries. And you know, for those few people who don't know, Coke Industries is a giant conglomerate that consists of some of the um, you know, dirtiest industries around. You know, you know, oil and gas refining, ref- refining. Um, paper, pulp and paper production, um, glass, and you know they have a terrible track record of regulatory violations. And in, in, in our di- violation tracker database, we've documented over a billion dollars in, in penalties that they've paid. And they've long crusaded against regulation and tried to, to limit it. And now it looks like they're using this case to achieve what they've been seeking for for decades. And it looks like the um, the current Supreme Court is, is going to give them what they want. So the, the numerous subsidiaries under the Coke Corporation have had to fight these battles one by one. But under this case before the court, they would just end the rule and not have to do that, right? Well, I mean, regula- regulation will not go away, yeah. and penalties will not go away, but this is basically an attempt to weaken the ability of, of regulators to do their job. It's not going to you know, um, give companies the complete upper hand, but it's going to shift the balance of power between corporate interests and, and regulators in a way that um, you know, it's hard to predict exactly how it's going to play out, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. It's basically going to make life easier for the polluters. Right, right. So that, um, can you say more, because you have been tracking um, Coke Industries at the Violation Tracker. Our listeners are real familiar with them. But kind of for give folks you know, uh, a sense of um, what they've been up to. Well, you know, people can, can go themselves, you know, to the Violation Tracker database, which is, which is you know, free to use. At, um, and just, you know, just Google Violation Tracker, and you'll get it. And you, know, you can just plug in Coke Industries and, um, you know, look for the parent company summary page, and you'll see that we've got... 475 entries. So in other words, there have been 475 instances that we've found in which uh, federal, state, or local agencies have found some branch of Coke Industries responsible for a regulatory violation and have brought a monetary penalty. And those penalties, as I mentioned, total more than $1 billion over the past Two decades, and most of these are environmental um, infractions. Um, they've also been involved in a number of price-fixing cases. You know, basically where they collude with their competitors to you know to set prices and limit competition. 
Um, and so you, know, you can just go down the list. It's it's just you know, over and over again. You know the you know the companies. You know their their uh, their main companies include. You know Flint. You know Flint Hill Resources. It includes Georgia Pacific. It yes. includes um, you know a bunch of companies with Coke in their name, like you know Coke Petroleum. Um, um, it includes a, 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 a fibers company called you know Invista. So they're you know they're an enormous operation. They're also privately held, so they're subject to less um, disclosure than publicly traded companies, and, and it, you can't really bring any shareholder pressure on them because they don't have any outside shareholders. It's basically the the you know the Coke family that controls the, the company. So they kind of um, they think they can do what they want, and they get away with quite a bit. And they, you know, have been depending on powerful friends to insulate them from accountability, and now they're trying to strike at the rules, right? And one of the rules. Can you talk about how come they're still in business? Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) they've got a lot of power, and they use their money, you know, as I'm sure your listeners know, they've used their money for political purposes. You know, the Koch family, you know, has has spent lavishly on right-wing advocacy groups like Americans for Prosperity, you know, to push their um, their kind of libertarian and right-wing agenda. And, you know, some of these groups kind of pretend that they're concerned about social issues or fiscal issues, but ultimately what the Koch brothers are all about is to, is to weaken regulation, because that's, that's what affects their, their bottom line. And, um, and now, you know, this is a real frontal assault that they're, they seem to be engaged in, you know, not, not so much behind the scenes. I wanted to just circle back to that because, you know, that, 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 um, that you say it's standard procedure for corporate America to use small businesses as a wedge for achieving changes that provide a lot more benefits to large companies. If you read the uh, briefs for in the two fishing cases, I, you know, they talk about, they, they name the boats even, I think. I think they, they try to characterize yeah. it. And, you know, that's not... The origin is that, in fact, this huge company with a lot of money is actually looking up for itself, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty brazen, actually, yeah. what you know what they're doing here. Um, you know, and, and the thing that the the fishing you know companies are challenging is, you know, I mean, there are even good reasons to um, you know question. You know their position on that issue, right? I mean, there's a good reason to, um, you know, for uh, you know for monitoring of overfishing. I mean, that's really what this is about. There are, you know, there are rules to discourage overfishing, and there are some requirements for the fishing vessels to have monitors on board. And you know, the small fishing companies don't like that, and um, you know they're trying to cha- change that. But they're allowing themselves to be used by the likes of, you know, Coke Industries for a much broader agenda that really goes far, far beyond, you know, this narrow issue of, you know, 
fishing monitors, and um, and there was seemed to be little attempt to hide the fact that um, that was what was going on here, that the the fishing companies were being used as a you know as a pawn for a, for a much bigger agenda. So we're waiting to hear from the court in the spring, maybe late spring, and the balance of power, I think it's six to three. I think Neil Gorsuch is a big backer of wanting to see this um, Chevron Doctrine rescinded. It's not looking good, but I'm glad that we could at least talk about the origin behind this. So, you know... It's because it's so brazen and, you know, people need to be talking about this. Um, I'm speaking with uh, Phil, Philip uh, Matera. He's the research director and director of the corporate research project of um, Good Jobs First. And I would highly recommend if you're not familiar with the website to check it out. There's a lot of good information, the Violation Tracker, the Dirt Diggers Digest, and the um, corporate rap sheets. Hey, Philip Matera, thank you for... Um, speaking with me this morning. Happy to do so.